The following podcast, entitled Professionalism in Medical Education, What Are We Really Teaching Our Residents?, is presented as a public service by the UNC Department of Orthopedics. This is for your education and your entertainment. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, I'm Doug Durschel, Chairman of the UNC Department of Orthopedics. I want to speak to you for a few minutes about professionalism in medical education. I want to begin with a quotation. The professional landscape of contemporary medicine is shaped in many respects by the ethical values and conduct of physicians who came before us. And, by virtue of our predecessors' actions and priorities, we are the beneficiaries of the trust that patients have in today's physicians. This quotation underscores the fact that we are each products of those and that which came before us. In the same way, the actions and decisions of today will inexorably influence those who come after us. Nowhere is this more true than the arena of the values, beliefs, and behaviors that, together, constitute professionalism in medicine. It is not inaccurate to state that, more than its legacy of knowledge and scientific discovery, it is the historical current of professionalism that serves to bind physicians of the present to those of the past, and that will attract the physicians of the future to our profession. Professionalism in medicine, however, is not a constant. It is instead constantly changing, being shaped and defined by the context and culture in which physicians practice. This social context and the definition of professionalism it influences reflects the changing public expectation of physicians as well as economic and legal influences. How then is it possible for medical educators to keep a secure footing in these shifting sands that they may teach professionalism? How can we measure our effectiveness in this task? How do we know that what we are teaching and measuring is appropriate? I cannot provide definitive answers for these questions, but I hope in this brief presentation to perhaps raise awareness of how professionalism is really taught in residency and provide an idea or two of how it might be taught better. Abraham Flexner, the father of modern medical education in the United States, is quoted as saying, medicine cannot be taught, it must be learned. Flexner, of course, is widely known for altering the system of medical education in this country to provide greater emphasis on teaching the science of medicine. In this statement, however, Flexner refers primarily to the art of medical practice, an art that can only be learned through experience. He is celebrating the fact that medical education is a moral pilgrimage, a true apprenticeship, in which character and attitudes are molded by the experience of caring for sick patients. Today, however, medical education may have turned 180 degrees from its course in Flexner's day. It may be said that medical education today teaches science almost exclusively and does little to model and teach the artful practice of medicine. As medicine becomes ever more scientific, we may, we may be losing sight of the fact that residency is more about gaining situation-specific judgment and skills than it is about learning basic principles or techniques. Clearly, the principles and techniques must be learned, but they cannot be applied without the ability to make judgments and decisions in the context of the care of individual patients. The challenge confronting the medical profession today is how to educate physicians not only in the scientific, but also the artful practice of medicine. Leonard Cass, one of the pioneers of the American bioethics movement, commented critically about the achievements of bioethics when he said, Though originally intended to improve our deeds, the practice of ethics, if truth be told, has at best improved our speech. 
In this statement, he implies that, in preparing and presenting lectures, seminars, and conferences on medical ethics, our accomplishments amount to little more than lessons in vocabulary. We learn to speak the proper words, but these sessions do little to train us to demonstrate professional behaviors. Ethics and professionalism, Cass believes, should be taught by modeling behaviors rather than by presenting lectures and seminars. What are we teaching by example? What do our behaviors communicate about our own professional values? How does the environment we have created for residency education affect the acquisition of these professional values? Following medical school, the barriers to educating for professionalism are daunting. Stress related to long work hours, lack of formal social support, and the emphasis on efficient and high-volume patient care create a learning environment that works against the cultivation of professionalism. Kenneth Ludmirer, in his 1999 book, Time to Heal, states that it is difficult to teach professionalism in such a commercial atmosphere, which does little to validate the altruism and idealism that students typically bring with them to the study of medicine. He goes on to say that, I think the student who learns medicine in an environment where the bottom line is a cash flow will become a different kind of person than someone educated in an atmosphere where we hold out that the bottom line is the satisfaction of the patient's needs. In the world of managed care and financial pressures on academic departments to generate increasing amounts of clinical revenue, scholarship has been more difficult to support. The solution adopted by most was to re-engineer themselves through their behaviors to be less scholarly, less altruistic, and to exist in a culture less steeped in professional values. In the current system of organization and value in academic departments, emphasis is on the protection of professional prerogatives and separation of roles. Doing one's own work is the top priority, for individual accomplishment is a basis of professional self-esteem and status and a criterion for competence. This approach allows individual interests to trump the system and the system suffers as a consequence of poor cooperation and teamwork. Each department, division, service, and perhaps even individual tends to defend its authority at the expense of the total system's function. This has been defined as suboptimization, yet it is the professional behavior we frequently model for our learners in academic medicine. These issues are not new. The tension between entrepreneurship and altruism and between individual professional autonomy and system-wide needs has always been a threat to the professional ethic of medicine. How this conflict is resolved, whether we first serve self or the system, patients and peers, will determine whether medicine retains its place of honor among the professions. So, what must we do? Clearly, we must do more than simply improve our vocabulary on the subject. We must act rather than merely speak. One form of action that can be advocated is the rather simple act of assessment, simply measuring how we are doing and modeling professional values in our behaviors. The act of assessment expresses values and sets a moral tone for the department, teaching program, or organization in which it occurs. Assessing professionalism informs learners and teachers alike that professionalism is integral to good medical practice. Thus, assessment is always a moral intervention. Every assessment conditions future behavior in those being assessed. We must remember that the most powerful forms of learning require the internalization of assessment criteria so that the learner is engaged in a process of self-observation and self-critique. Thus, it appears that the ideal assessment would consist of a self-assessment 
as well as an assessment by others. This is what we have begun to do in the academic departments of orthopedics in which I've worked in the last five years. Faculty and residents have developed and approved a set of standards of professional behavior for our academic department. An assessment tool was then developed based on that document. The assessment tool was first used as a self-assessment by each resident and by each faculty member. The same tool was then used for a peer assessment. Residents anonymously assessed each of their peers and each of the faculty, and the faculty did the same for each resident and each faculty member. The final assessment will involve others in the hospital and clinics performing the same anonymous assessment of each resident and each faculty member. The outcome will be a 360 degree assessment of professional behavior, which will allow each resident and each faculty member to compare their own perceptions of their, own, of their professional behaviors with that of their peers and colleagues. To date, the results of these assessments have been quite interesting. In general, residents had a lower self-opinion of their professional behaviors than their peers and their faculty had of them. Also in general, faculty had a higher self-opinion of their professional behaviors than residents and their peers did of them. The 360 degree portion of this has yet to be completed, but simply by beginning the act of making assessments, I think we've taken great steps towards improving professionalism in our academic department. The true challenge in teaching professionalism is to modify the internal culture of an academic department so that it is more aware of and reinforces values that the program wishes to embody and impart to its learners. It is in essence application of a simple principle best articulated by Gandhi. You must become the change you wish to see in the world. Providing standards for professionalism and performing periodic assessment of professional behaviors can raise awareness and change behaviors. And attaching educational or professional rewards to demonstrating the desired behaviors and values can, if done consistently, constructively, and in a supportive institutional environment, change the professional culture of an academic department. If we can do this, then we can truly say we are teaching professionalism to our learners. Allow me to conclude with a quotation from Dr. Frank Wilson, Chairman Emeritus of University of North Carolina Department of Orthopedics and a mentor of mine. This quotation comes from Dr. Wilson's essay entitled Symbols and Symptoms. By applying the principle of universality, that is, by stopping to consider the effect of a personal action or behavior becoming a universal behavior, the inherent propriety of an act may be better understood. Perhaps this principle can serve as a guidepost in the development and assessment of guidelines for professional behavior in medical education. For, while a single act or behavior may not alter the earth in its orbit, the sum of our behaviors and actions will decide the plane on which medicine is practiced and will determine the legacy we leave for those who follow us in the profession of medicine.